This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Welcome to this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping project managers in engineering sharpen their PM skills. Why are behavior styles so important in project management? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Engineering Project Management Podcast, I'll be talking with Frank Shurkow, who serves on the board of directors at the Southwest Lincoln County Water People's Utility District. He has more than 40 years of experience in transportation and traffic engineering, airport development and operations, port planning, design, project management, and much, much more. In this episode, I talked to Frank about the importance of diversifying behavior styles on project teams and also the role that leadership communication plays in the process. Just think about it. If you had a team, wouldn't you rather understand the behavior styles of each of the team members? to make sure that the team is operating as best as it can. With that, let's jump right into today's episode. All right, now I'm excited to welcome our guest onto the Engineering Project Management Podcast. Frank Shurko is a licensed professional engineer in seven states. He also serves on the board of directors at the Southwest Lincoln County Water People's Utility District, and he also has the ENV Sustainability Professional Certification. Frank, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, Anthony. I gave an overview, obviously, of some of your certifications and your background, but tell our listeners a little bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis in your career right now. So my professional work focuses on transportation planning and engineering. Most of my clients are in Southern California, although I'm on the coast in Oregon. I spent about 20 years in uh, public agencies, mostly in senior and executive positions. And then I served on the uh, faculty, civil engineering faculty at Oregon State University. I also done about 20 years of consultant services, which is where I'm concentrating now. So most of my day-to-day activities are consultant work and some activities related to the water district. Today, we're going to talk about project management, and I'm of the belief that the term project management kind of does us wrong in some ways because it neglects one of the most important aspects of project management, which is people and people interaction and the ability to interact with people. And when it comes to people, you know, there are many forms of diversity. However, one of the areas that project managers might not always be aware of is how behavior styles will affect team productivity. So, could you talk a little bit about the four different behavior styles that people fall into and and why you believe that teams should not have people with all the same behavior styles. We're all familiar with the the word diversity. It's thrown around quite a bit in the media and maybe even at work. You may have gotten trained about diversity. There are things like gender, race, age, disability, religion, national origin, et cetera. But this is the kind of diversity that can help the team I think, and 
it's a diversity that most people aren't aware of, at least consciously. I'm going to talk about a particular proprietary model, but there are others out there. So this is not a commercial for this particular version, but it's the one I'm familiar with, so I'll use it. It puts people basically into four different groups. One is dominant, D. One is influencer, I. One is steady, S. And one is conscientious, C. So put them all together, DISC. It's a DISC. You, you may have heard of the DISC profile. It's out there. It's used quite a bit. I first took a DISC profile probably about 30 years ago. And these profiles give you an insight about what your behavior style is. And it's amazing if you answer just a, a few questions in the profile, you can get a pretty good idea. It comes back with like a 10 or 11 page report about you. And it's pretty uh, on the money, I think. And it doesn't change over time. I've taken it several times. It comes up the same. And I've heard that from other people as well. I've also interacted with the folks who do the DISC profiles and, and that's their uh, feeling as well. So let's take a look at the first group. That's the dominant group. These people focus on the big picture. They can be blunt. They accept challenges. They get to the point. And that's, you probably run into those kind of people at work or maybe in your family. So start thinking about people who have that kind of characteristic. Let's move on to influence. These people can show empathy. They have an openness. They want to have a relationship. They show enthusiasm. They can uh, be optimistic or collaborative. The steady group are people who don't want to be rushed. They like cooperation, but they're sincere, they're dependable, they have a calm manner, they're supportive in their actions. And finally, conscientious. These are people generally that focus on quality and accuracy and expertise and competency. They enjoy independence, but they also want to have objective reasoning. They want the details and they fear being wrong. In my experience, many teams don't even realize that they've got an overload of one or more, or they've got an absence of one or more of these kinds of behavioral styles. And I think these behavioral styles are important to have across the board. So a team should not have all the same behavioral styles, but it's good that they have some of each. And that cuts across other kinds of diversity that you may be faced with in putting together a team for uh, reasons of your agency policy or your client's desire or whatever. So you also have the issue of gender, age, race, and the other things, and some of which are protected, some of which aren't. You want to take a look in, in project management, also having a representation of the project area. You go into a um, project in Texas and all your people are from California. Maybe that's a bit of a culture problem. So try to look at that aspect as well. One of the major problems, I think, and we can get into more detail, is that if you look at the area of engineers, and, and I did research at Oregon State University, I had all the senior civil engineers fill out the DISC profile at the beginning of the capstone project. And this happened over a number of years. It happens that two out of three have high steady and high conscientious behavior styles. And that means that 
they want to focus on a steady, predictable, a calm kind of situation. They want to get to the uh, points and the aspects of the project. They want to deal with accuracy, but they may not have the strengths in terms of leadership, communication, and team building. And these three things, if you have an absence of these three things on your team, you may end up with a problem. Leadership, communication, and team building. So different kinds of people, it seems to me, are drawn to different kinds of behavioral styles and different kinds of professions. If you walked into a room of land developers, what do you think the the predominant behavioral style is going to be? My experience is it's going to be dominant. They're all dominant personalities. If you walked into a room of artists, it'd be different. If you walked into a room of nurses, it would be different. If you walked into a room of fire captains and fire chiefs, it would be different, different than engineers. So people are drawn to professions that satisfy part of their personality, part of their behavioral style. But if you have a whole team that is dominated by a particular person, let's say all the team is dominated by the dominant, the D part of the DISC profile. They're all blunt. They're all at the bottom line. They're not going to get along. They're not going to look at the bottom line. They're not going to look at accuracy or quality. They're just going to sort of beat each other up. So think about putting together a team that has all these assets. Find somebody to lead. Find somebody to have interaction and sensitivity. Find somebody who's good at communication. Find somebody who can listen to all points of view and give you some feedback. Find people who do solid analysis and really dig into the numbers and get the details right. And that's essential in, in many projects. But it's not the only thing. Find people who can stay on schedule and within budget. I worked with a, a senior person early in my career who just was into accuracy and bottom line and detail all day long. Didn't give a rip about budget or, or schedule. And that projects are going to get into trouble if that's all you're interested in is the scope and, and quality part of the project. Somebody asked me, what's the basic building block of a project? The basic building block, in my mind, think about a three-legged stool. Simple mental picture, a three-legged stool. One leg is budget, one leg is schedule, one leg is scope and quality. If those three legs of the stool are in balance with one another, you're going to have a solid project. If one of those or two of those legs of the stool are too long or too short compared to the other, you're going to be in trouble. So the three-legged stool should be our mantra all day long in terms of project, making projects go. But that means having the right people on the project team. So one thing I just want to chime in on that stool visual, we do a lot of project management training at EMI. And what we like to do with that visual is scope, quality, schedule, and budget are your three legs. But on the floor of the foundation, we like to put people just to show that you know you need to be able to interact with people to manage those three things effectively. And if you do that at the top of the stool, we like to put client satisfaction. Because if one of those legs is shorter than the other, the client satisfaction slides off the top and you don't have client satisfaction. So my point of saying that is that just to show that if you look at the scope schedule budget stool on its own, the word people isn't there and you may not think of it, but people interaction is very, very critical to being able to manage those three things. And, and Frank, I want to go back to 
the disk assessment for a minute. I mean, I love the philosophy for any team, whether it's project management, building a business, of understanding the different people on your team, the work styles, the personalities, however you refer to them as, whether it's the disk assessment or using another tool to do that. But my question for you, Frank, is I do this assessment and now I know what they are for everybody. How does that help me moving forward? What can I do with that information to help my team be successful? I think you're going to look at a variety of strategies. The disk assessment or the comparable, whatever it is, and you don't have to do a disk assessment, by the way. You can actually find out by listening and watching people what their dominant behavior style is going to be. You don't have to do a formal process that costs a little bit of money, takes a little bit of time. I think it's worthwhile because it's good information, more detailed than perhaps people would ordinarily get. But you can do this, I call it informally. But first of all, it helps people recognize their own behavioral strengths and weaknesses, along with those of others that they are going to work with. It particularly, I think, is effective in helping you better understand and communicate with other people. If you, for instance, knew that Sally was a very strong C, conscientious type person, then you're going to communicate with Sally based on details and analysis and digging into all the facts and figures and making sure they're right. Get out the spreadsheets, get out the pencil and paper, and, and it may be an hour or so. If you're communicating with John and John is a dominant, then John's just going to want to know the bottom line. They don't care about all the spreadsheets and all the other details of the project, as long as, you know, you can assure them that they're right and Sally can assure them that they're right, but they want the bottom line. They want to get on with the big picture. If you knew the behavioral style of the others on your team or your client or other people in the community, you could better, we think, better understand and communicate with those people. It can be used in managing it can be used in marketing, coaching, team building, sales, and recruiting. What if you gave a disk profile to a group of people who had made application to your company or your agency, and you said, you know what, all things being equal, we're looking for people with strong influencer behavior style. Somebody who can sort of be the glue and interact with people on the team and communicate and have fun. The fun factor in teams, I think, is ignored too often. So what if you look for those kind of people to kind of fill the gaps in the team that you already have or the agency personnel or the firm personnel that you already have? So you can use this in recruiting as well as already, you know, sort of looking backwards at putting together the process. You could also use the DISC profile to help in training. What if you could coach up people that um, were very strong in steady and conscientious. In other words, they were very strong. They wanted calmness. They wanted the bottom line. They wanted accuracy, et cetera, et cetera. What if you could coach up those people over time to be better communicators, to be better influencers, to be better leaders? What if you could put that kind of cherry on the, uh, on the Sunday and make somebody who already had very strong attributes in one area, you could broaden their behavioral style strengths to other areas as well. We're not helpless. Just because the DISC profile comes back and says you're strong as, as steady or strong as 
conscientious, which two out of the three civil engineers are, doesn't mean that those people are forever doomed to play that role on that team. And one other thing that I'll say is that we've done some work with different assessments in some of our PM training, and we like to incorporate it into our programs. And one of the things that I found is if you become comfortable with any of these assessments, not only is it beneficial with your team, but you can start to understand what their result might be without them even taking the assessment. So in other words, if you're dealing with clients and interacting with them, you may be able to tell right off the bat that this client is dominant and I need to work with them a certain way. I need to speak with them a certain way because you just become so good at reading the results of the assessment and understanding the tendencies of the different buckets of that assessment, so to speak. So that can be a big benefit for you just in business, I think in general, in life in general, quite frankly. I mean, funny story is I have three kids and when they were younger, I actually found online, they have this disc assessment for kids, young kids. And what it is, is if for each question, there's four pictures and you ask the kid, which of this kind of best is like what you would do? Like, is it a kid leading the line? Is it a kid in the back of the line? Is it a kid like sitting on the side, not on the line type of thing? And, you know, they would go through and answer the questions and it spits out a report. Like, here's something your parents should know. Here's something your teachers should know, so on and so forth. And I thought it was interesting. And it was pretty accurate, I would have to say, like with my three kids. But I do think that it's almost, I don't want to say irresponsible, but in the world we live in today where you can get access to this kind of information, as a leader, you really want to have this information. Because if you lead without this information, you're putting yourself and your team at a severe disadvantage. Because to Frank's point, if you're stacking a team with people that are all the same perspective, all the same tendencies, you're really doing a disadvantage to the project, to your clients, to the, to the company, because you're going to be limited in your capacity to see different things. And that's why I think from a project management standpoint, this is so important. So Frank, I know that you authored an article in the ASC news column, do leadership and social skills come naturally to civil engineers? And you did a little bit of an analysis, I believe, on looked at the DISC results. I think it was students. Talk a little bit about the article. So this was a, a short blog article for ASCE, and it's available out there someplace. I think it takes some of the same information. For instance, again, back to this wasn't a one-off. This wasn't just casual observation. We did disc profiles for every civil senior in, at Oregon State over a number of years. And it came out the same year after year. We use this information, by the way, we use this information as one of the factors to put together teams for the capstone project. So one of the issues was gender. One of it was, what is your discipline in civil engineering, transportation structure, et cetera, et cetera. What is your grade point? What is your disc profile strengths area? And it was quite a chore to try and assemble a team that had a diversity in all these different things. And the data that came out of this if you look at holistically, the data was the same year after year after year after year. And that is there were darn few dominant behavior styles and there were even fewer influencer behavior styles amongst the civil engineers. The dot cluster on the picture that the, the disk profile process produces for the whole class year after year looks very much the same. All the dots are clustered in in just several different slices of the pie. And so what can you do about that? What do you take away? Well, first of all, again, you want to look at the assessment of behavioral styles individually and collectively. To some people, they know exactly who they are going in. And so the disk profile is a confirmation. 
Some people don't know who they are. They haven't even thought about it. They haven't thought about the world in that way. And so when they get the disc profile back and they start reading about themselves, they're taken aback. Is that really me? Yeah, that's you. And if team members knew, not all the gory details, but they knew generally where people's strengths and weaknesses are, then you could get into the area of training. Train civil engineers at the university. Train them in the workplace. So you are dealing with issues that are not, and I taught a major land-grant university. They don't talk about behavioral styles. I did, but nobody else did. They don't talk about leadership unless it's sort of a brown bag session on the side. They don't talk about communication skills or interpersonal skills, which, as we know, I'm going to make a, a bold statement here. You may disagree. But civil engineers and engineers generally are notorious for having poor interpersonal skills. And that's not because they don't know. It's because their personality doesn't go in that direction. That's my theory. I wrote a book about soft skills for engineers. So you're preaching to the choir here, Frank. <laughs> and if you don't believe me, you can look on, I think there's a, a cute little cartoon by Dilbert on YouTube called The Knack. And it, it's only a minute and a half, but it's right on point. And if you ask the spouse of an engineer, I mean, they will confirm this straight down the line. Your husband or your wife or whoever, your special other person, if you say, well, I'm married to an engineer, they all get it. It's like a club. I'm married to a civil engineer. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like the military. They get being married to an engineer and, and the pluses and the minuses. Okay, you can fix anything in the garage, but you're not good at remembering somebody's birthday. So team building, I think, is the last piece of the puzzle that I would say needs to be taught and trained both at the university and at the workplace. Sometimes people are just thrown onto teams. Oh, here's a new hire. You know, Sue is the new hire from XYZ University, and you're going to be put on the team. Well, what does being on a team mean? And if I have to put together a team, how do I do that? I think the other thing is experience. We ought to give people the experience to exercise their leadership wings or their leadership muscles. So if you're a lesser member of a team, organize the team activities so that they have some responsibility, not just for themselves or a particular task, but maybe a group of people, a subgroup, where they can get together and produce something or give an opinion on something. Mentoring. We ignore the possibility of having older, more seasoned team members or, or engineers take younger professionals under their wing and say, here's how we did it, or here's the mistakes I made, so don't make the same mistakes. Use diversity in behavioral styles on teams. Don't just talk about it. Actually go through the process. And most organizations, most teams are thrown together without any regard to any of these issues. It just, what was the team last time? And we'll, we survived, so let's have a, the same people on the team next time. Hiring and placement. I mean, take a look at and how organizations are put together. And not just we need to be diverse in these other areas about gender, race, ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera. But also when we're hiring and placing people in certain positions, let's think about what's the best behavioral styles or what's the best experience level or what's the best way to put a person 
on a team to be most effective. Lastly, performance reviews. Make it part of the performance obligation, both of supervisors and of individuals, to either broaden their behavioral styles by either training or uh, mentoring or whatever else, or make it part of their process in order to get ahead in the organization or get ahead in the, the next team that's put together. So use the shortcomings that we may have that are naturally part of the civil engineering, I'll call it personality, the collective personality. Use some of those shortcomings, recognize them, and then start to strive to overcome. Again, having visibility into your team and the strengths of your team members, I almost think it's fundamental in project management. And I think, like I said before, if you don't have that information, I think you're at a disadvantage. So it's it's nice to hear Frank walk through this a little bit. You know, he's using DISC assessment as one of them, as he mentioned, but it's certainly not the only one. There are a lot of them out there. We've used some stuff in the past that EMI, like Strengths Finders, is another one that was good to kind of tell the different strengths of the team members. There's another one called the Colby A assessment that I've used that's been interesting, but we will link to Frank's article in the show notes of the audio podcast. We'll put it below the video on YouTube because it is a very interesting study because basically over five years, pretty much every year, it's the same. I mean, it's very much the same in terms of the DISK and the different breakdowns. And in something like that, it makes it very easy or easier for an organization, like in this case, the university, to then build some additional classes or education around the areas where there is maybe a deficiency of those perspectives or those strengths or whatever we're talking about, which just happens to be nice in that scenario. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and finish up with Frank and maybe talk a little bit about uh, communication. All right, we're back on the Engineering Project Management Podcast Bank with Frank Shurkow. Frank's a licensed professional engineer in seven states. He's had experience in a lot of different areas and talked a lot today about understanding the strengths of your team as a project manager and kind of working towards those strengths or improving where you need to. So Frank, usually in this segment, we kind of call it the PM pitfall. We talk about some of the bigger pitfalls in project management. And I'm going to use this segment today to state something obvious that everyone says and everyone knows that communication is the most important thing in project management. You have to communicate with your team, your stakeholders, so on and so forth. So that's an obvious statement. We all know that. But the question is, how can we get better at it? So from your experience, Frank, what tips can you offer up to project managers to help improve communication? Let's start with the, the global issue of communication. If you typed in communication in the Google search, you'd end up with about three and a half billion hits and to go through that process and sort of weed out the, the good from the bad, the pertinent from non-pertinent is a real chore. And we all, I think, intuitively know how to communicate, but we don't necessarily formalize it. We don't think about it on a day-to-day -day basis. We just do it. And there are different ways to communicate. They're verbal, nonverbal ways that we're all familiar with. It's handy for people to, to take a step back once in a while, once every couple of years or on your own, and actually go through a process where you read a book about communication, talk to people about what works and doesn't work, look at something online, refresh yourself in the basics. So let's go back to the basics. First thing is 
think first, speak second. Think about what you're doing and think about what you want to say and how it's going to be perceived, not just it's coming out of your mouth, therefore the person at the receiving end will get it the way you intended. The second thing is focus on really listening. Now, I know we're into communication, but listening is the first part of good communication. And before you stand up and make your speech or say your piece or do whatever it is you're doing, communicating, take a minute and listen. Look around the table. See who is at the table. And that gets to the third point. Be aware of your audience. Are you talking to senior team members? Are you talking to junior civil engineers? Are you talking to the client? Are you talking to the community at a public hearing? Are you talking to the media? So what it is and how it's being done, how it's being communicated, we think is is very, very, very important. But be aware of the audience because the audience, and now we get back into the diversity of behavioral styles. If you're talking to somebody who's very dominant, they don't want all the details. They don't want all the spreadsheets. You're going to bore the crap out of them, and then you're going to turn them off. So think about what you're communicating and how you're going to communicate it before you start communicating. We live in a world today of like a lot of messaging, a lot of instant messaging, social media, And I know also you can actually still call someone, which is good from time to time as well. But one thing I will say, going back to what you said about thinking before you communicate or before you talk, is that's what I like about email. For as many downfalls as email has, I do like the fact that I can write an email to someone and not send it right away. Stop for a minute, maybe walk away, get a drink of water, come back and reread the email because it gives me the ability to, you know, sometimes you act off the cuff, you act whatever your tempers are flaring, whatever the case may be. But I like the fact that it's almost a do-over, if you will, and you can think about it a little bit more before you send it. When you're in a conversation with someone, you really have to be intentional if you're going to think before you talk or, you know, process it a little bit quickly. So I just think when you use social media or texting, you don't have the ability really to slow down. So I think one thing that I'll just say to people from my experience is, you need to think before you talk. Unfortunately, our brains aren't wired to do that anymore these days because everything is instantaneous. So figure out a way to protect yourself against that. And for me, I like to use email for that. I think the other thing on a cautionary note that I told students during the capstone class and during the project management class that I developed was some of this electronic communication, whether it be social media or emails, is forever. So don't say something you'll regret. If you don't want it on the front page of the newspaper tomorrow morning, don't put it in an email or social media post or whatever it is. If you want to gossip about somebody, do it face-to-face with somebody else or pick up the phone and do it. But be aware that some of this stuff can come back to haunt you either later in your career or in the office or God knows whatever else. So Be careful about how you use today's wonderful technology because sometimes it's not so wonderful. You've given us a lot of really good information here. And I think you focused today on one of the most important aspects of project management, which is team management, people interaction, organizing your team the right way. 
And I think a lot of PMs will just jump into a project thinking more about the scope, schedule, budget, and less about the team that they have to manage those things. So I hope that you've shed some light on that for some of our listeners out there. And the one thing that I will say as we wrap up for today is we understand that you don't always have the authority to choose your team, your project team as a project manager. You work for a consulting firm, you work for an agency, and there's people that work for you. And those are the people that work for you. But what I will say is using some of the tools or recommendations that Frank suggested today, you can understand your team and try to work with them better especially if you don't have the opportunity to change a team member. You may have to change what you're doing. You may have to change some of your strategies. Maybe you have to get a consultant that you know is one of the other assessment styles to help you work better. Frank, I want to thank you for giving us a good amount of time today. We will definitely share links to Frank's information on the website. But Frank, any last kind of parting words for our project management audience? Well, I have some um, kind of big pitfalls that you may want to pass on to your folks And that is, if you look at the formalized project management process, either through Project Management Institute or other people, there are many, many things that happen before a project starts. And if you look at all the range of activities, there are actually more activities in the planning stage than in the execution stage. And that doesn't mean the amount of money isn't in the execution, but the activities that need to support the project as it moves forward are happening before you stick a shovel in the ground, or stick a CAD file in the computer. Second, there is, on many teams, a lack of leadership, communication, team building, and you can take steps to fill those gaps. Third, there are too many people that ignore the warning signs when projects start to turn south. They're too optimistic or they're just blind because they're not monitoring the things that need to be managed. Fourth, the slowness to take corrective action can doom a project. If things are getting out of hand, you need to know that immediately and take action, not just watch them get progressively worse. Some people next lose focus of the project's goals. They just get lost in the minutiae and forget about what it is they're trying to do. And then to finish up last three, they don't cope with change. If you're not into coping with change. If you don't think change is going to happen, then don't get into project management because project management spelled backwards is change will happen. The second last thing is a lot of projects don't finish properly. They finish, okay, we're we're done. The client paid us. That's it. No, there are things that have to happen to close out a project properly, whether it's archiving, whether it's technology, whether it's files, whatever it is, Make sure the paperwork's done at the end. And then finally, last, for God's sake, use one project to prepare for the next project. And that's not just technology, that's people. Train somebody in this project, and next projects, they're going to be a little higher in the pecking order. Or maybe they can lead a smaller project on their own. Or maybe they can do something with some other technology or some other client base or some other discipline in civil engineering or wherever. So don't just take a project one at a time. Look at the project as a benefit to your agency or your firm as a way to expand the personnel capabilities that you have. 
In our project management training programs, we always share the quote from Mike Tyson, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And to me, that's project management, right? Every project, something gets thrown at you, it changes, it never goes according to the original plan. And so you have to be willing to adapt. And I think kind of a lot of the stuff that Frank talked about today will help you adapt and be flexible as a project manager, especially knowing the skill sets of your team members and who can help you in certain situations. So let me say just just one more thing as an example. We just had a project finish in New York City. I wasn't part of it, but I viewed the results of it. And then as the Long Island Railroad, after 100 plus years, was brought into Grand Central Terminal. That took 15 years and $11.5 billion to do. I encourage people to take a look at, at some of the results online on, on YouTube because there are all kinds of people who have taken the new train and visited the new platforms and done all the other things. But think about how many people were involved over several generations of project management to get that project done. And if you think that's a problem or that's a challenge, think about building a cathedral a thousand years ago that took a, a thousand people 500 years to build a cathedral. And so the person who started with the first block and the first trench and the first whatever, first carving, how many people then succeeded that person in order to get the job done? The the multi-generational dedication and the multi-generational activities of project management, they didn't call it that back then, but that's what it was from generation to generation to get those things done. Fortunately, we don't live in that kind of world with those kind of projects very often, but I think it gives people a perspective of project management in its totality. Dedication, it's often a long-term thing, but it requires a lot of progression and momentum and training of new people. So Frank, thank you so much for spending some time with us here on the Engineering Project Management Podcast. We really do appreciate it. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Frank. This is something that we've seen in really all of our custom project management development programs that we've been building for our clients is some level of personality assessments, work styles, behavior styles somehow built in to the training, which is a good thing because a lot of times when you say project management or you hear the words project management, you don't really think about people, but the ability to manage and interact with people is everything in project management. I hope Frank got that across today. And if you're ever interested in talking to me or one of our reps at EMI about building a custom project management program for your firm, Just visit our website, engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, or give us a call, 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. And you can find the show notes for all of the episodes of this podcast at engineeringpmpodcast.com. That's engineeringpmforprojectmanagementpodcast.com. There you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your project management endeavors. 